Our scripture text this morning comes from 1 Corinthians, book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. I invite you to turn to it in your Bibles, or you may use one of the few Bibles in front of you. I'll be reading this morning from the ESV translation, the English Standard Version. 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. The Apostle Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is precious, it is life-giving, and it is eternal. We pray that your spirit will guide us this morning as we hear the reading and preaching of your word. May your spirit do as he promised, to feed and nourish the souls of your people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The question of did Jesus rise from the dead is one of the most, not one of the most, the most important questions you will ever have to answer. Everyone has to decide what they believe about Jesus Christ. Some will cast him off as a myth, a person who historically never existed, Many will believe he was a real historical person, and and uh, that is what the historical evidence points to. But they will see him as nothing more than a good moral figure, a moral example, a good teacher. Certainly not the Son of God. Certainly someone who never did any miracles, and certainly someone who never rose from the dead. Some believe Jesus was nothing more than a prophet, This is what the Muslims would believe. Others, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, believe that Jesus was a God among many, but that he is nothing more than a created being of Jehovah, God Almighty. Mormons believe that he is the physical offspring of Elohim, the Son of God through biological procreation, and the brother to Lucifer. Christians believe, however, that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, the God-man, God in the flesh, who came, who died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, and is alive now as the reigning King of all creation. We believe that he will return one day to judge the living and the dead and to bring about a new creation. In other words, we believe what the Bible clearly says about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. What do you believe about Jesus? What is your answer to the question, who is Jesus and is he alive today? No one can escape answering that question. Dr. Richard Pratt shared a story one time where he wrote, 
I can remember sharing my faith with a man. He was a con- he was kind and listening attentively, but at one point he had to interrupt me. This man said to him, I can go along with you on most of what you have said. The world is a mess and we need a savior, but there's one thing I can't get past. Dr. Pratt asked him, what's that? The man replied, it's just not possible that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Dead people don't come back to life. That's the one thing I know for sure. Besides, why do I need to believe in that anyway? I think the person in Dr. Pratt's story gets to the heart of the matter. Did the resurrection happen or not? Is Jesus alive today or not? That's a question people have been asking since the actual event of the resurrection occurred. And that's the question that the Apostle Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians, is addressing in our text this morning. Did Jesus really, truly rise from the dead in his body? Is he alive today? And Paul's answer, of course, is a resounding yes. Yes, Jesus is alive. And he answers that question using two different approaches. First, he appeals to scriptures. Then he appeals to what we might call the uh, external evidences of the resurrection. In this passage, he appeals to eyewitness accounts. Now, let me just say this. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, you are a believer in the risen Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to pay attention to the order in which Paul argues for the truth of the resurrection. Notice how he begins his defense of the resurrection. He begins with the Bible. He begins with the scriptures. And only after establishing what the Bible says does he then appeal to external evidences. And brothers and sisters, in your own lives... When you are witnessing to others, when you are defending the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to apply Paul's method. Because first and foremost, you and I know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because the authoritative, infallible, inspired word of God says that he rose from the dead. I think so often we are tempted to start with external evidences, with extra-biblical evidences. We want to talk about the historical, the archaeological, whatever pieces of evidence that show the resurrection to be true. And those pieces of external evidences are important. Obviously, the Apostle Paul will go on to use such evidences himself when he appeals to eyewitness accounts. But we must, like Paul, begin with the clear declaration of the gospel as we have received it from the very word of God. And here's why. The Holy Spirit works in and through and with the reading and the proclaiming of the word of God. This book is not merely a bunch of words jotted down on paper. It is life-giving That means that this book, the Bible, brings salvation because it is indeed a product of God himself. God breathed it out through the Holy Spirit and used, yes, human authors, 
to put it down on paper, but they were writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This Bible is where God reveals his truth, the gospel of his son, Jesus, which is capable to save men from their sins and bring them to salvation, bring them into eternal life in the presence of God forever. We need to understand this, brothers and sisters. We cannot argue people into the kingdom of heaven. We cannot reason people into the kingdom of heaven. No amount of evidence will ever convince someone of the truths of the gospel, of the truths that Jesus is the risen Lord. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And the Holy Spirit has promised to work in and through the reading, the preaching, the proclaiming of the Holy Scriptures. The Spirit and the Word work together. And so Paul begins his defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ with the Scriptures. Look at what he says. First, the gospel is of first importance. That's absolutely true. Nothing for us as the people of God, as the church, is more important than the gospel. You never graduate from the gospel. You have to keep it in front of you at all times. You have to keep the gospel central to your lives. We as a church have to keep the gospel central to our lives together as the people of God. We must proclaim the gospel at all times to one another, and we must proclaim the gospel at all times to the world around us. There is nothing more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, then Paul tells us what the gospel is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What scripture is Paul referring to to here? Well, he's referencing the Old Testament. Remember, in his day, the New Testament was not yet complete. In fact, by writing the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul was still writing the New Testament. But the people of God in the first century in Paul's day still had a sufficient Bible in the Old Testament. And Paul knows that the central message of the Old Testament is the central message of the New Testament, is the central message of the entire Bible, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the day, from the dead on the third day. It's more than likely that Paul has a mind when he writes in accordance with the scriptures that he's thinking of Isaiah chapter 53. There the prophet Isaiah wrote, speaking of the coming Messiah, talked about his suffering, his making payment for the sins of his people. He talked about the Messiah dying, but also living. There are things, and these are things that the the prophet Isaiah was able to write seven to eight hundred years before Jesus was born. But Isaiah was proclaiming the gospel. How did Paul know the gospel of Jesus Christ was true? because it rings true with what the scriptures of the Old Testament would say about the coming Christ, that he would suffer, that he would be put to death so as to make sinners righteous before God. And yet, although he died and was counted among transgressors, he would be raised to life. As it's clear from Isaiah 53, the Messiah, after being put to death, would see his offspring, 
that God would prolong his days, that he, after being put to death and bearing the sins of many, would then go on to make intercession for transgressors. The Bible in the Old Testament proclaimed the truth of the gospel, and Paul received it as first importance, and that is what he is telling us we are to be proclaiming. Now, if you're here this morning and you still have not decided what you believe about Christ, I want to challenge you to take up the Bible and read it. Start with one of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read it and see what the scripture says about Jesus Christ. And see if you do not come to believe that Jesus Christ is indeed alive today as the risen Lord and Savior. And if you do not have a Bible, please see me this morning. I'll be in the back after the service greeting people as they leave. I would love nothing more than to give you a Bible for you to take and read and keep. Now, Paul, back to our text, only after appealing to the sacred scriptures to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a true event, turns to what was in his day the external evidences of the resurrection. Primarily, he looks at the eyewitness accounts to the resurrection. Verses 4 through 8 of our text this morning. First, the risen Christ appeared to Cephas. That's the apostle Peter. Then to the other disciples of Jesus Christ. Then he appeared to a crowd of more than 500 brothers at one time. Oh, and by the way, Paul is saying, if you, you don't have to take my word for this. You can ask those brothers yourself. Most of them were still alive when Paul was writing this. Then he appeared to James, the half-brother of Jesus. Then to all the other apostles. And then finally, the risen Christ appeared to Paul himself. Paul was an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. I find this section of 1 Corinthians to be fascinating, and here's why. I know of no other religion on the face of the planet that encourages you, actually challenges you, to test the claims of that religion against the record of history. No other religion will do that. Think about this. Mormonism, an angel appears to Joseph Smith alone, gives him supposedly these massive golden tablets, and you're just supposed to take Joseph Smith's words, take his word about this event. Islam, we're just supposed to take Muhammad's word that Allah gave him a revelation to which the entire human race is supposed to submit to. Jehovah's Witnesses, did you know Jehovah's Witnesses are told they're not even supposed to listen to any objections to what their church teaches them? Because if they do, it could create doubt in the church's teachings, and those church, and that doubt could lead to them being defellowshipped, meaning cut off completely from all their Jehovah's Witness friends and family. Buddhism, same thing. You're just supposed to believe that this guy figured out a way to achieve enlightenment, and by following him and his methods, you can do the same thing. Christianity is different. Christianity actually invites you to validate its claims. Read the Old Testament. It talks about real events, real empires and nations, and kings, and wars, and civilizations, and you can verify 
against the records of history, against archaeology, whether or not the Bible is accurate in its recordings of historical events. In fact, time and time again, the Old Testament has been proven by secular archaeology to be true. I think the existence of the Hittites is the perfect example of this. The Bible speaks a lot about the Hittites. But did you know that for a long time, archaeologists had no record or evidence of the Hittite civilization? And of course, many critics of the Bible used this as evidence to say the Bible's not true. But guess what? In the early 20th century, archaeologists discovered 10,000 tablets that testified to the existence of the Hittite civilization. On top of that, they were able to then go and find actual rock ruins of the Hittite capital. The Bible was proven factually true. And that's not the only example. I could go on and on as to the external evidences to the truthfulness, the reliability of the Holy Bible. The point I want to make today, though, is Paul's point. The evidences... The eyewitness accounts, the historical records testify to the truth that the resurrection of Jesus Christ did indeed happen, and Jesus Christ is alive today. One of the ways that you and I can hear the testimonies of eyewitness accounts is to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These were men who saw the actual event themselves, and they would write their Gospels Um, at four different places of four different times. Matthew, uh, he wrote his gospel somewhere between 64 to 70 AD, most likely in what we know as Syria today. Mark wrote his gospel account sometime before 62 AD, most likely in the area of Rome. Luke, we don't even know where Luke was when he wrote his gospel account, but we do believe that unlike Matthew, Mark, And John, Luke was not of a Jewish background. He was a Gentile. He was a Greek. And he begins his gospel by writing to the most excellent uh, Theophilus. And most excellent was a title used to address high Roman officials. So his background was completely different from the other three men. John didn't write his account most likely until 90 AD when he was a very old man. And we know from his life, that at the end of his life, John was imprisoned on the Greek island of Patmos. Four different accounts written by four different men from four different backgrounds, written at four different times from four different areas of the Roman Empire. And yet when you read those accounts, when you read the four Gospels, they are overwhelmingly consistent in their records concerning the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, aren't there differences between the four Gospels? Yes, there are differences to the four Gospels, but differences does not mean that there are contradictions. The Gospels are completely consistent with one another. Think of it this way. Last Friday, um, Friday a week ago, I was coming home from the grocery store. It was raining. I was driving down Malden Drive, and at that bend up there, just beyond you know, where Malden Drive loops around, there was a car accident. Um, Now imagine that there were four different witnesses to that car accident. And the police officer on the scene talked to those four different witnesses at four different times. What would he get? 
he would get four different points of view to that car accident, right? Witness one might talk about one detail in the accident. Witness two might talk about another. But if all four of those witnesses were honest, the police officer would leave that scene with a consistent accounting of that event. Of that event, And actually, because of the four different witness accounts, he would have a pretty detailed understanding as to what happened in that car accident. He would know pretty much exactly what happened. That's the way the Gospels work. That's how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John work together. They paint us a thorough picture from eyewitnesses of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And through that, we can know pretty much exactly what happened in Christ's life. Some of you know the name Chuck Colson. He was part of the Watergate scandal in the 1970s uh, under the Nixon administration. And Chuck Colson actually went to prison for his involvement in that scandal. But he eventually came to know and love and trust in Jesus Christ as the risen Savior. And he went on to start Prison Fellowship International, which takes the gospel to prisoners all around the world. Listen to what Chuck Colson said about why he believes Jesus rose from the dead. He once said this, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? He says, because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of the apostles was beaten tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. And then he says, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. And then he says, you're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Pinchas Lapid was a modern Jewish historian scholar, a man who absolutely rejected to his death the fact that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. But he once said this, he said, from within the perspective of Judaism, and from what we know about the first century, and from the reliability of the witnesses, meaning the four gospel accounts and the lives of the twelve apostles, he said, I can only conclude that Jesus rose again on the third day, and it's really only the Gentile, Greek bias of liberal scholars that can allow them to say the resurrection didn't happen. He fully believed, based on the evidence, that Jesus rose from the dead. Unfortunately, the truth of the resurrection failed to make an impact in his life. And that leads me to ask you, what impact will this truth make in your life? What does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead? Brothers and sisters and friends, it makes all the difference in the world. Paul would go on in 1 Corinthians 15 to say that if Christ did not rise, then we should eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, there is no meaning to this life, because there is no hope beyond this life. If Christ did not rise from the dead, Paul would say, then we are the most pitied among all men. All of Christianity falls apart. None of it is true if Jesus did not rise from the dead. But 
If Jesus did rise from the dead, if he rose bodily from the grave, then it means that he is who he says he is. It means that he is God incarnate, that he is God in the flesh. And it means that Christianity is 100% true. Either Jesus is alive today or he's not. Either he, he is who he said he is in the Bible, that he is God, or he is not. Either he is the only hope for our salvation, or he is not. And everyone in this room must decide whether or not to believe the truths about this risen Christ. There is no middle ground here. C.S. Lewis said once in Mere Christianity, his book, Mere Christianity, he said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claims to be God. Lewis continues, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us, and he did not intend to. Lewis is saying, it's either true or it's not. He's either the eternal son of God who rose again from the dead, or he wasn't. There's no middle ground. And brothers and sisters and friends, Jesus did rise from the dead. He is alive today. And you have two choices when faced with that fact. You can either accept the risen Christ as your Lord and Savior, trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, and have the gift of eternal life, or you can reject the risen Christ, deny the truth of who He is, but I must warn you of the consequences of making that decision. Listen to the words of the Apostle John from the book of Revelation. He had a vision concerning the fate of those who reject the risen Christ. John wrote, Then I saw a great white throne, and him, meaning Jesus, who was seated on it. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, He was thrown into the lake of fire. That is the fate of all who reject Jesus as the risen Lord and Savior. Your name will not be found in the book of life. And you will be cast into the lake of fire, a place where Jesus himself said it was a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. But if you do accept Christ, as the risen Lord, as your Lord and Savior, as the one who has died for your sins, and more than that, as the one who is alive today, reigning from his throne in heaven. If you accept Jesus Christ by faith, 
That means you don't just believe in him, but you trust in who he is and what he has done for you by dying on the cross, making payment for your sin. Then your name will be written in the book of life. And listen to what the Apostle John writes in the book of Revelation. Listen to what he says is true for those whose names are written in the book of life. John wrote, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, again, Jesus Christ, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And John would go on to say that for those whose name is in the book of life, they will see God's face. And they will need no light of sun or light of lamp or sun for the Lord God would be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Eternal life, the resurrection of our own bodies and souls, eternal joy and happiness in the presence of God. That's what awaits those who believe that Jesus has risen from the dead and that he is alive today. That's what awaits those who put their hope and their trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ alive today? Absolutely. Yes, he's alive. And because he lives, you too can have everlasting life. If you trust in the risen Christ, though you may die, yet shall you live. That is his promise. And brothers and sisters and friends, you can trust the promises of Jesus Christ because he alone has conquered death and hell and the devil for us.